This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jordan Hill. With me, as always, is Kip Adams. We are coming to you uh, Wednesday afternoon, a couple days after Fourth of July. Uh, Kip, how was your Fourth? Uh, did you have a chance to kind of uh, kind of enjoy Independence Day? Yeah, it was pretty great. I mean, obviously, it goes without saying that on Fourth of July, it's it's going to rain. Uh, it's just part of the experience for us. But uh, yeah, I mean, we still have people uh, doing fireworks. You know, last night going into tonight, so it's pretty obvious everyone's pretty excited about us. You know. Uh, getting our independence i can't say that my dogs loved it as much as i did but you know what that's just part of it so yeah pretty good weekend uh the rain kind of cooled everything off a little bit and it was a a good time with the family and i mean the the news didn't take a break either uh you know over over the holiday weekend so a big week for you know just recruiting and obviously college football in general yeah, no doubt about it. Anyone who's watching may be able to notice. Got a little sun hanging out at the pool the last couple of days, but good chance <laughs> to kind of hang out with the family, get uh, caught up before, you know, kind of 4th of July is that point just a few weeks before SEC Media Days for, to me, it's like season's almost here. It, it is right here, right around the corner. And before we know it, the season is going to get started. Yeah, uh, I think, uh, you know, we got some, some media days to talk about. And I think uh, just looking at, you know, the the predicted finish of the conference and then, you know, the all-conference teams will give us all up to talk about. And, you know, the, all the different award lists that still haven't come out, those are obviously, you know, decent talking points, but this is it. I mean, this there's a little bit of a lull here and, and the coaches are going to, you know, use every minute to try to relax their families, but it's about time to get after it and, and start uh, – you know getting those workouts in and fall practice it's really going to be here but before we know it so this is kind of that last little bit of uh calm before the storm that will be this 2022 football season so uh it's it's kind of uh fun for us because you know while everyone waits for the season there there's still there's plenty of recruiting news it seems like every every day you know the last a week or so and then in the next coming weeks there's going to be more so for us, there's going to be something to talk about and something to write about, uh, you know, pretty much every day for the next couple of weeks. Well, Kip, let's start with the news from Tuesday night. Georgia picks up a commit, which now stands as its only commit in the 2024 class. Four-star Nye Carr commits to Georgia, uh, a guy from Colquitt County uh, that's six foot, 170 pounds. Guy's been very productive. I had a chance to go through and look at what he has done down there at Colquitt County, which has become one of the powers in the state of Georgia as far as high school football. Uh, a guy that had 40 receptions for 856 yards and 13 touchdowns uh, during his sophomore season. It's a guy that was averaging a little bit over 21 yards per catch. Uh, you know, we had a chance, uh, and Rusty posted this 
on Twitter some of his highlights from some of the camps he's been to and and had a chance to show out. You know, this seems like a really big get for Georgia in that 2024 class. Uh, we'll obviously talk about in a few minutes uh, that they'd had a little bit of a setback with their previous only commit in the 2024 class, deciding to flip to Miami. Uh, but, you know, a really talented receiver seems like a, a guy that's in state. Um, it seems like a very big get. What What are your thoughts on just what you've either gotten to see or gotten to hear about Nye Carr and uh, what getting him and, and what Brian McClendon being able to land him uh, just means as Georgia slowly but surely starts working on that 2024 class? Yeah, I think, you know, you look at the type of receivers that Georgia kind of seems to be in the mix for, not just this cycle, but also previous cycles. It's usually, you know, guys that have some size, 6'1", 6'2", the ability to, to kind of uh, go down the field and, and win those 50-50 balls. Uh, the one aspect of the offense that they haven't really been able to kind of uh, consistently put on the field is, is you know, the slot receiver and just having that explosiveness. And that's when I look at Nikar, that, that's, that's what stands out to me is that he's explosive. I don't have any verified. We don't have verified not just uh, speed, but but measurements as well. I mean, is is he five ten? Is he five eleven? Uh, you know, is is he going to be six foot? Uh, what we know is is that he's a rising junior, so there's still room for him to grow. Does he end up being a legit six foot? We we're not sure there, but but what I see from him on film is is that he has incredible ball skills and just explosiveness, and I think those are the those are things that. Georgia's been looking for and kind of lacked overall uh, in the offense. It's it's had to rely on uh, you know the outside of receivers just to kind of uh, you know whether it's the out the fade. It's it's been kind of a not necessarily one dimensional, but it's been heavy in that area as far as the passing attack outside of a you know an unreal Brock Bowers freshman season. That's kind of been what we, you know you've come to expect from Georgia wideouts. And so Nikar kind of brings a different element to his game. Uh, it's it's tough to make comparisons because, like I said, he still has two high school seasons to, to go out there and to continue to develop. But, you know, you look at a, a guy like Rentavious Wooten, just a guy that in the slot was able to make guys miss in open space and and, and take maybe a, whether it's a screen or, you know, a, a five-yard uh, pass and, and, and maybe uh, make a big play out of it. He's that kind of guy. And then just also a guy that, again, stretches the defense. And then one aspect with it, when Arian Smith is on the field for Georgia, the, his first two seasons, that's been something defenses have had to respect and pay attention to because he's he's a deep threat. So again, I don't know what Nikar's speed is. I don't know if he's a four-five flat guy, if he's a sub-four-five guy. But on film, you know, and at Colquitt County, I mean, they're playing legit high school competition. Uh, he makes guys miss, and, and I mean he's great with the with the ball in his hands. So I just think that's that's a big pickup for Georgia. And obviously, we've talked a lot about the wide receiver position in the 2023 cycle, and so it's you know it's got to be uh, promising for Georgia fans to see Brian McClendon go in and get one of the top guys in next year's class. And obviously, it being an in-state guy, a South Georgia guy, uh, those those are always guys that you know you keep an eye on as being big time talents. I know that uh, Malcolm Mitchell was one of those guys, you know, out of Valdosta. He was a guy that came in and made a lot of plays uh, for Georgia as well. So just a big time get. And I think, uh, you know, with some guys that ended up heading elsewhere in the last couple of days, I think that was some good recruiting momentum for Georgia as they head into a big month of July with some expected announcements. 
think that's going to be really interesting just to watch going, you know, even to this time next year is if this helps at all, as Georgia looks at a guy like Landon Thomas, five-star from a tight end from Colquitt County, you know, could the opportunity to continue playing with a guy like Nycard, could that intrigue him on top of going to, as we've talked about several times before, what's kind of becoming a tight end factory there at Georgia. I mean, I feel like, you know, whether or not that decision uh, means anything to Landon when it comes to ultimately making a decision, you'd have to think that doesn't hurt uh, that one of his teammates coming. Not one bit. I think uh, Michigan was a program that kind of had some, you know, got some spring momentum with both Nye and Landon a little bit. I wouldn't say necessarily that they had taken the lead for either one of them, but they, they had, you know, given both prospects a lot to think about. I still liked where Georgia stood for both, and obviously with Nye on board, I think that can only help, and I would never bet against Todd Hartley. If, if he's got his, you know, if, if he's locked into Landon Thomas as his 2024 guy, and I believe he has for a long time, I like Georgia's chances to land Landon Thomas in the end. Kip, a minute ago, you talked about some of the decisions that have been made with a few of the recruits Georgia has really been chasing. They had a couple of decommits, one in the 2023 class, uh, my uh, Raquez McEldery. Uh, he decommits, and then I think a couple of days later decides to go ahead and commit to Alabama. Uh, also a uh, four-star in the 2024 class, Antoine Jackson, the guy that had been committed to Georgia. He flips to Miami, uh, so he is now a Hurricanes commit. And then really at this point, the other decision that has been made in the last few days, uh, you know, Sadir Mitchell, a four-star defensive tackle, a guy that, you know, seemed like for a while there, there was momentum for Georgia and really pursuing him and, and adding him as a potential, you know, sort of maybe so n- not so much an heir to Jordan Davis, but a guy that could play that kind of position down the road. Uh, what do you think of what sort of happened on the trail these last few days for Georgia? Uh, and any you know thoughts that really stand out to you about these decisions in particular with these three recruits? Yeah, I had some had some guys. You know, Georgia's not going to get all of them. And as you said, I mean, Steer Mitchell, Malik Benson committing to Alabama, the wide receiver, the JUCO wide receiver, Deshaun Womack picking LSU, another talented defensive lineman. The defensive line board uh, for Georgia was pretty deep. This is a deep defensive line class, and obviously Trey Scott. Coming into this class, uh, being able to, to send three defensive linemen uh, to the first round NFL draft, he's he's got some recruiting equity there. But at the same time, you know, you're not going to land them all. Some guys landed elsewhere, but still like where Georgia is in this class. And, and people start looking to see how they're going to replace, you know, that trio maybe this cycle. You, you got one guy that's planning on announcing his commitment this month, and that's going to you know, that, that's a big-time target. You talk about a Jordan Davis replacement, Jamal Jarrett out of uh, Grimsley High School in Greensboro, North Carolina. He's announcing his commitment July 19th. Still like where Georgia stands there, and that's a guy that's 6'5", legit 6'5", pushing 6'6", 345 pounds. Uh, that is that guy that can be that Jordan Davis replacement. So that, that kind of helps you out there in that aspect. But I think overall, uh, you know, there's still – plenty of other defensive line targets that, that Georgia's heavily in, in the mix for. You look at Jordan Hall out of Jacksonville, Florida, Westside High School. He's six four and a half, three hundred 300 pounds. I mean, that's a guy that Georgia's definitely involved with, has high on their board, and, and they're pushing for him. And then you have Kelby Collins from Gardendale High School in Alabama, 6'5", 280 pounds. You know, we've cautioned over and over again that, you know, the guys at Alabama, you know, they're, they're tough to get. But 
again, continue to like where Georgia is with Kelby right now. We'll see if they can continue that momentum. And then obviously you look at James Smith, part of that Carver duo at, at Montgomery High School, 6'4", 310 pounds. Another guy that just like Kelvin Collins can, can play all across the defensive line. And those are guys that Georgia is in a really good position with right now, you know, in the month of July, these guys don't have decision dates in mind right now. So Georgia's going to have to continue to recruit them. And so that that's just kind of where things stand right now. But, you know, I think that Georgia has to feel good about where they are with, with those guys and, and they're making decisions on, you know, a lot of guys as far as how hard they, they push for them, just because, they want to make sure that they're still in with their top targets. You don't want to use those spots and then come back around and, and kind of regret and wish that you'd, you'd held out for some of these top guys. So I think that Trey Scott has a pretty extensive defensive line board right now. He's keyed on all the guys that not only he likes, but he likes where he stands. And I just think there's some patience that needs to be, you know, put into place for, for some of those recruiting battles are going to go possibly into the season. But you know, getting a guy like Jamal Jarrett, that, that'll be huge for Georgia on the on the defensive line recruiting. I think it was Jordan Harris in the chat asked, who is on Friday announcing? The only person I'm aware of for Friday is Shamad Umarov, the offensive tackle, a four-star. Mm -hmm. uh, not sure there's anybody else that's going to announce on Friday. Another guy on Saturday, uh, Jaden Wayne, a guy, five-star edge, uh, a big guy um, that's going to announce his decision on Saturday. And so some more news to kind of follow, some more news to watch as far as uh, targets go for uh, for Georgia. Uh, and I had a few people uh, in uh, just, you know, on Twitter and, and even just texting me concerned about how the class is shaping up. And I mean, I think you summed it up, Kip. They're not going to sign everybody. That wasn't the case, you know, three years ago. Wasn't the case last year. It's not the case now. It's just a situation where uh, you work through um, you know, you figure out who wants to come to Georgia, you look at the options you have, and then you do your best to bring in those top guys. And I think that Georgia, I think last I had looked right now, Georgia stands seventh in the team rankings, obviously a long way to go. And still, you know, a big month of July left, which we can talk about in a few minutes. But, you know, there's a lot still left on the board. And I think if you're a Georgia fan, um, there's no reason to panic right now, you know, a couple days after the 4th of July. Yeah, and I, I mentioned having to make decisions for spots. And you, you mentioned, you know, uh, who's announcing the, this Friday? Shamarad uh, is a guy out of Denmark High School in Alpharetta, Georgia, who's six six and a half, three hundred and thirty 330 pounds. And, you know, a lot of people had mentioned Tennessee with him. I like where Georgia is. And like I said, with spots, it's tough. And But you know that, Georgia saw uh, Ryquiz McElderry, you know, they had him on campus multiple times. You know, they had him in camp. Uh, they knew what they had in him, but I had mentioned multiple times about this class and how valuable just being versatile is to Stacey Searles and Todd Munkin and Kirby Smart. They want guys that can cross train at multiple positions. And so right now you have a guy in Joshua Miller on board who could play, again, multiple positions along the line. Obviously, Bo Hewley out of uh, Langston Hughes, I mean, he's a top 100 offensive tackle. You don't turn those away at all. So you look and see they have two, maybe three spots along the offensive line. Monroe Freeling out of uh, Oceanside Collegiate Academy is another top 100, top 100 offensive tackle. They're going to key in on him for sure. And then you have Carver Columbus uh, four-star Kelton Smith. He's another guy that can play multiple positions. So they've valued those guys. Those are – 
priority targets at the most you got one spot available and so you have a guy that's announcing his commitment this friday in shamaran umaroff and i and his quotes to me you know after his official visit stood out to me he took his official visit to george on june 10th and they told him they said hey you know uh, we are looking for guys who could you know who could play multiple positions we're going to take the best five and while you might be, you know, a, an outstanding left tackle, we might need someone who can play guard as well. And he took that to heart after his official visit. He's like, he said, you know what, I might, I might have to be able to play center. You know, I, uh, and this is gonna, what it's going to be like for me in college. You know, I haven't played guard a lot. I need to learn how to play guard. So he said he went to his coach and said, I got to work out. I got to work on every position so I can be ready for whatever is asked to me in college. And that's exactly the mindset and exactly what George is looking for. So I think, you know, if you see Georgia take him on Friday, now you can have some insight into the reason why. This is a guy that has potential, has upside as a four-star prospect, but potentially could play multiple positions in college. And I think if you're looking for one spot uh, potentially remaining in that offensive line class, you look at Connor Liu out of Kennesaw Mountain, he's a center prospect. You look at TJ Shanahan, he could potentially play multiple positions, but it's probably going to be on the interior because he's about 6'2", a little under six foot three. So I think for Georgia, I think that might give, uh, you know, push Shamarov to the, to the edge. That might make uh, him the top guy as far as that remaining spot. So I just think that's something to watch on Friday. I think that uh, Georgia is well positioned to, they're pushing for his commitment. I like George's chances to land him and and get another valuable offensive lineman for this class. Challenge with offensive line year in and year out is only five guys can start. So when you've got a guy that's flexible enough to move around and play different positions or even come in if somebody gets hurt, you know, it's something that uh, can't be overstated. It's very valuable and we'll see uh, once we get even through Friday and even the decisions that come after that as far as how they handle offensive line. Uh, so we're going to go to a quick break, but we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about some of these upcoming decisions, things we're looking at with some of these recruits, and then talk about what happened pretty much after we stopped podcasting last week, which was more conference realignment. We saw, obviously, USC and UCLA making the move. What does it mean to the SEC? We'll get into a little bit of that right after a break. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back, everybody. Well, yeah, kind of transitioning and staying on the topic of recruiting. We have talked about before that this sets up to be a very big month for Georgia as far as recruiting goes. 
we can talk a little bit about some of the decisions and the decision dates we know of. We already talked about Umarov on Friday. Five-star edge Jaden Wayne is going to commit on Saturday. A few uh, decisions that we know are coming later in the month. Uh, Jamal Jarrett that we talked about out of North Carolina, another big uh, four-star defensive lineman. He's committing on July 19th. And then July 23rd, Jonel Aguero, a safety of five-star that you know seems like from everything we've heard, uh, Georgia has put themselves in a very good position with. Uh, Kip, what do you think of what the uh, outlook of July is for Georgia? Uh, if any of these upcoming decisions really stand out to you or, or just any general thoughts about what might be coming down the track for Bulldog? Yeah, I mean, Georgia's got 12 verbal commitments right now. I expect that to grow this month over the coming weeks. You, you mentioned a couple guys who we expect to join Georgia's class and Jamal Jarrett. Jonel Aguero, it's two guys. As I said, I think there's a very strong chance that they add an offensive lineman as well. I think that Shamaroff checks off the boxes that they're looking for. They, you know, they make that decision to to take him as well. That's three additions to the class. Will there be a fourth? I think Carver uh, Columbus offensive lineman uh, Shel- Kelton Smith is is getting ready to announce a commitment this month as well. So. Uh, you know, I, he, you know, he's mentioned, uh, you know, that third, fourth week in July is a potential announcement date. I really like where Georgia stands there as well. So you land both of those offensive linemen, you're able to kind of key in on a, your last remaining elite offensive line target, and that being Monroe Freeling. You, you know, Stacey Serrells will be able to to focus on him, a guy that he has had a long-standing relationship with since his days at North Carolina. I think that. Georgia is in a good spot there. So you look overall at this offensive line class, uh, regardless of whether they're they're ranked right now, these are guys that Georgia wanted from the start. These are guys that they had high on their board. These are not, you know, plan B or plan C guys. These are guys that they, they wanted early on in the process and are getting on board here in the summer and, and keying in on maybe their last target going into the season. So I kind of just, you know, I think that Georgia's got a shot to, to go into the month of August with 16, possibly 17 or 18 commitments on board uh, for this 2023 class. And that's a, that's a pretty good uh, spot to be in because there are, there are going to be some guys that announce in August as well, trying to get that decision out of the way before their senior season. So it's, it is not out of the realm of a possibility that Georgia, you know, has 20 commitments once the season actually begins. So I think, Right now that, you know, there are some guys in the last week that announced for schools that are not Georgia, but uh, I would not, you know, have anything but optimism uh, when looking at this Georgia 2023 class overall and just, you know, at positions of, of high priority, especially along the offensive and defensive line. Yeah, when uh, Arch Manning committed to Texas, I had went back and seen a quote that Kirby had from his very first signing day, and he talked about to land two, you're going to swing and miss on 10. I mean, that's just the law of averages when it comes to recruiting. So Georgia's obviously still in a very good spot. Uh, you know, we know some of these decisions are coming. And then you know, too, some of these kids may just decide that they're going to announce. You know, we always love a good surprise when it comes to recruiting. Um, but that's that's the nature of it. You know, when we... We're going through the end of June. You know, it seemed like there was some momentum uh, when it comes to Georgia recruiting. Doesn't take very much for that to kind of uh, come back around. You know, two of the guys we talked about I'm very interested in. Jarrett, you know, I, I think his connection 
uh, you know, having a chance to be around Jordan Davis and having a chance to see, you know, that a, a guy from North Carolina has an opportunity to maybe go to Georgia and develop like Jordan Davis did. You know, that'll be something to me, you know, it really seems like with him, you know, he has said uh, Auburn, Georgia, North Carolina seem to be the favorites there. It seems like it's going to be between going, you know, staying in at his home, you know, staying in the home state, going to North Carolina or deciding to come to Georgia. It's going to be very interesting just to see what he decides. And, you know, I think he's got a lot of potential uh, if he decides he come, he wants to come to Georgia. And then Aguero, it's kind of funny to me, you know, a lot of attention and rightfully so has been paid to Caleb Downs, who is the top safety. So I think if, you know, Georgia was able to land him when it's all said and done, you should be very excited about. But then you've got this guy too, Aguero, that's a five-star as well and is very talented. I think he may be uh, the second overall safety in this 2023 class. I think if you're a Georgia fan, I wouldn't consider that a consolation prize if when it's all said and done, they land him and do not land Caleb Downs. He's a very talented player as well. And I think uh, when it's all said and done, if they sign him, I think you should be very excited about another very valuable piece of the secondary. Yep. And then just to continue, you talk about potential surprises, you know, guys that may just decide to do it. I, if I was to, you can't predict those, but Justice Haynes is is, is a good projection for a guy that just one day might wake up and say, okay, you know what? I'm ready to, to, to go ahead and announce this. A talented running back now at Buford High School, the number four running back in the country. You know, Del McGee's trying to get two running backs in this cycle. He's in a good spot with Justice Haynes. And then you just had Richard Young, you know, the five-star running back, announced the top three of Oregon, Georgia, and Alabama. Alabama was that team with the momentum kind of heading into these official visits. I think Georgia's probably, you know, they, they, they've probably made this thing a little more interesting than a lot of people expect. I, Alabama might be the team to beat, but I do not think there is a lot of separation between them and Georgia. And I think that is definitely a recruiting battle that Del McGee still has an opportunity to win. So that's that's another position that you can kind of start to see that focus on Del McGee trying to get two elite running backs in, in this cycle. So uh, again, there's still a lot of uh, you know recruiting battles that could potentially be decided before the season uh, begins that do not include uh, expected announcement dates right now i just think again a lot of these the reason these guys are taking official visits in the month of june is so they can get this thing over with and before their senior season and try to figure everything out so we're, we're going to be watching and, and and again at the end of the month there's that one recruiting weekend that schools get i think that'll probably tell us a lot as well uh, which guys in this class george is able to get on campus might give you a little bit of a hint of, of maybe where they stand with a couple of their top targets yeah, I mean, think about if they're able to make a running back backfield of Haynes and Young. I mean, that would be up there with uh, some of the best. I mean, you would put that toe-to-toe with pretty much anybody. Uh, Jordan Harris said, we want both as far as the safeties. Hey, they're trying. They're trying to get uh, both of those guys, and obviously Fran Brown has done an excellent job so far since he uh, came on board. It'll be something to watch. It'll be something, obviously, uh, they're going to work really hard for, and we're going to see what winds up happening on that front. Uh, Well, before we get out of here, let's talk about conference realignment. Big news last week with USC and UCLA announcing that they're headed to the Big Ten. Obviously, a you know seismic change when it comes to the college football landscape. Uh, The two LA teams are going to be playing 
the likes of Michigan and Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State, and conference play. Uh, you know, as a result, we've started hearing rumors about the Big 12 picking up some of those Pac-12 teams. You know, there's all kinds of movement that is starting to set up. And part of the question that comes with all this is, what does the SEC do? You know, I think it's going to be very intriguing. You know, really, this all started last year with Georgia, uh, you know, finding out that the SEC is going to be adding two teams, Texas and Oklahoma are going to be coming. We still don't know exactly when. We know by 2025. If it happens sooner than that, still not clear. Um, but that was kind of the the first shot. And now the Big Ten uh, has a return fire with getting two teams uh, from the Pac-12. A uh, lot of questions about will the SEC do anything uh, in response. I'll be very intrigued to see what happens. A lot of people feel like this is setting up for two super conferences between the SEC uh, and the Big Ten. You know, I don't really have a, a great feel for what I want to happen as someone who's watched SEC football for so long. I think my biggest, you know, concern as just a fan of the sport is to not make additional, uh, you know, bringing in other teams, bringing in additional teams just for the sake of adding teams. I think that the SEC needs to be really smart if they decide they want to add past 16 teams. I think teams that make sense to me would be a Clemson, would be a Florida State that, you know, as much as USC and UCLA kind of just blew out the whole somewhat having regional conferences, still think it makes a lot of sense for the SEC to try to stay somewhat in its, uh, you know, in its regional uh, lineup and its landscape, even with adding Texas and Oklahoma. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to me, if they're going to add anybody else, I, I would like to see it be like a Clemson, be, uh, you know, a Florida State. I think the one maybe wild card for me that I still don't think is going to happen would be Notre Dame, just to add a team of that caliber. Uh, but all into, all reports so far seem to point to Notre Dame being willing to stay independent. And that seems like they're very much the wild card in all this movement and the wild card in conference realignment once again. Uh, Kip, what do you think of the changes we've seen so far? And if there are any teams that really uh, pique your interest as far as potential SEC teams, uh, who kind of stands out to you? Props to Greg Sankey for getting out in front of this and getting the SEC to 16 teams, uh, you know, before anyone else. He And he got the right schools. Uh, you know, it, everyone's opinion, you know, will be pretty varied uh, and pretty polarizing as far as whether super conferences are good or bad for college sports. But it's pretty clear they are inevitable. And I think, it's pretty clear that Greg Sankey was preparing for that and that he planned on getting the SEC to 20 plus teams all along. And got there was a lot of uh you know backlash whenever the news broke that the SEC was adding Oklahoma and Texas to the conference. But now it it looks like that was the right move then. And the SEC does not have to be desperate. These are acts of desperation by the other conferences. And you just look at the geographic, uh, you know, what the Big Ten is adding, you know, adding Pac-12 schools that are on the West Coast, you know, just exponentially increasing the travel time that those teams will have to go through their schedule. Sankey went and added the it was the natural progression for the SEC to just, you know, expand West. And I said the the SEC doesn't have to go outside the ACC to get its teams. There's no need. You know, they're able to pick who they want. If they wanted any Big 12 teams, they could have them anytime they want to. 
So I, I don't think they're, you know, for, for the SEC, they can sit back and they can look at the ACC and they can go, well, you know what? Clemson makes sense. Virginia Tech makes sense. Miami makes sense. And Florida State makes sense. Let's add those teams and get the 20. And then, you know what? We can look at the the, the next tier of schools after the next dominoes fall. But, I mean, at the end of the day, this is all about renegotiating TV deals. And I don't know if this means Oklahoma and Texas will, will join the SEC earlier because I don't think that the fee – uh, they might not deem the fee worth it. Uh, I think it's going to be over $80 million a school to uh, to break off early. So if they're going to do that, I think the conference goes right to the ESPN and says, uh, make it worth it for them to join us early. Uh, you guys make it happen. And there's motivation now. I mean, now that the the Big Ten is, is ramping up its conference to trying to add two teams in 2024, it makes sense for the conference to go to ESPN and say, okay, uh, you, you want those schools here earlier, make it happen. And it just has to make sense for, for all the parties involved. I mean, there are, there are parties that are, I mean, there are conferences that are scrambling to remain relevant and that is not the SEC. So I don't think that, you know, some of these PAC 12 schools or big 12 schools, they, they don't have to worry about it. I mean, there's TV markets that they could add, but I don't think you have to make moves that don't make geographic sense uh, for the SEC right now. If they end up with just two conferences, I don't think it's really uh, going to make a difference. I think that the SEC will end up with, you know, it'll be an East versus West thing most likely in the end. But for right now, the ACC markets make the most sense. And those are the ones that, that they could target to add to, to their conference. That so these other conferences had their opportunity, didn't make the moves they needed to, and this is just the way it goes. It's survival of the fittest, and the SEC is the fittest conference by far in college football. I'll be really intrigued to see what happens from the SEC standpoint, because obviously football is the driver in all of this, but the thing that I really liked, specifically with adding Texas and Oklahoma, is that Texas and Oklahoma are strong in sports outside of football. I think it you know, is really exciting for a sport like men's basketball or baseball or softball and, you know, it would be nice if they wind up pulling someone from the ACC like a North Carolina who is solid in football. But think about what that does to men's basketball. You know, I, I think that, you know, they can be very strategic in, in obviously putting football first, uh, but also getting some some teams that still make somewhat sense geographically and also just helping the, the entire picture of SEC sports uh, with adding them to the fold. Yeah, definitely. And I know a lot of people are going to be upset. Tradition, everything's changing. But at the end of the day, you, you want good games. And I think that's kind of, you know, the key. And at the end of the day, if it ends up being two, three conferences, and then the outside of the top 40 to 50 teams, they're in a different division, then you've eliminated cupcake games. You know, you're going to be playing real opponents every week. And you're going to have an expanded playoff. You're going to have, but it's going to be these teams, you know, the legitimate teams, the programs are going to be left. So if anything, the quality of college football at this division will improve. And you'll get to see games that you didn't get to see before, you know, on an annual basis, new rivalries will be formed. So I, I don't think that this sport, it, it, you know, is uh, going to take a huge hit in, in the quality of what's on the field. And for fans, it should still be exciting. I mean, you're going to get to play and, and uh, you know, uh, talk smack against new fan bases. And, and that's really what college football is really all about in the end is 
is having those rivalries and just, you know, having that love for your program and getting to compare them to the other programs uh, in the end is, is what you want. And I think this is going to build that. And overall, uh, I think college football will be fine. And uh, I think Georgia will be fine. The SEC will be fine. And and it, they will have, you know, we won't be looking to see uh, if if the walk-ons or, you know, the fifth string guys are getting on the field in, in week two against, uh, you know, uh, an FCS opponent because they might be playing, you know, uh, Florida State or, you know, or they're playing Oklahoma. And so I, I just think that the, those are games that you should be pumped for overall. And I'm interested to see where it goes. I think, uh, you know, the bowl system might be the, the one aspect that's affected, but you know, if you just implement that into the playoffs and you just make the bowl games, the, the expanded playoff games, uh, I, I think you still have an overall great experience. And, and maybe we have some playoff games that are on home fields as well. I mean, just, you know, having having postseason uh, football in Athens it would be something that I'm sure a lot of people would, would want to sign up for. So I think that the, you know, uh, the end is near and, and all the doom and gloom in college football, as far as the, the fan opinion right now, let's wait and see. We know that money is going to dictate what happens overall, but I still think that you can ha- end up at the end of the day having a, an even better college football experience when all is said and done. It's going to be fascinating to watch over the coming months and probably years as we see the sport continue to evolve and, and see what changes come its way. Uh, well, we'll be all over it as it's happening if we see and find out you know, that the SEC is going to do anything else. Uh, but we're going to wrap up this episode on that. Uh, thanks to Kip for popping back on. Uh, thanks, everybody, for watching and listening. Be sure uh, to check out the website. We're going to have all kinds of recruiting and team news coming out the next few days. I'll go ahead and tease the story I'll have this afternoon that I think some Georgia fans will be excited about game-by-game predictions for the 2022 season. A lot to kind of dig into and a lot to kind of try to dissect as we look at how Georgia uh, handles coming off a a national title and and stands as the defending national champions. Very fun story to work on and write and and try to kind of look into the crystal ball about what's coming this fall. Uh, So it's going to be a fun one to read. Make sure and check that one out. Uh, We'll get out of here on that. Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe, uh, share episodes, let us know what you think about the podcast and comment and make sure and let everybody know about the Junkyard Dogcast. We're going to get out of here on that. Uh, For Kip Adams, I am Jordan Hill. Until next time, take care.